Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. This week's Eccentric Minute is the K-Box One-Arm Row. This is a great exercise to tick quite a few boxes when it comes to your training with the Eccentric K-Box. For this, set the strap and give the wheel a spin. I really like using that toe plate as a support for the back leg to allow me to really get my hips back and hold my position. From there, you're going to try to fight that huge eccentric load when it's pulling you down to not let your shoulders fall too far and give a really big hard pull driving your shoulders back and your elbow back behind you. Keys to this are just to make sure that you're braced the whole time through and you're ready because when that thing starts pulling you back down, it's really going to try to break your posture. Again, this is a huge bang for your buck exercise and one that I'm sure that you and your athletes are going to love so give the one-arm row on the K-Box a try. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Being a strength and conditioning professional requires constant pursuit of better knowledge, better methods, and better means. But what if there was a place where strength and conditioning coaches could learn from some of the most innovative practitioners in the world, such as Jeff Moyer, Lachlan Wilmot, William Wayland, James the Thinker Smith, and Kirwenham Flat. Well, you could find multiple lectures from each of these top-level coaches and a few lectures and examples from yours truly as well, all in the Strength Coach Network. The Strength Coach Network is going to bring you well over a hundred different lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world to be your one-stop shop for your continuing education and professional development. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. That's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash to get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Jason! Thank you so much for spending the time with us today, bud. Hey, no problem, Jay. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's great to catch up. It's, uh, it seems like more and more of these I'm doing a, a round two because we start chatting and catching up. But, you know, for the, the people out there who may not know who, who you are, let them know who you are, where you at, and how you got down to Florida, bud. Uh, my name is Jason Crutchfield. Um, I retired out of the military. I was a uh, Marine from uh, uh, 2000 and six until uh until 2017 and then i was in the army prior to that um i had an injury where i had to have my neck uh my neck uh cervical spine fused and that medically retired me um and while i was in the military i was uh working on getting my master's and um in exercise science and um uh was listening to a podcast with uh, ron mckeefrey and uh guest ho guest on it was jay DeMeo. so uh he said, hey, reach out, and if you have any questions, uh, give me a call. And uh, I reached out and uh, did that, and uh, we kind of hooked up from there and uh, started getting really interested in strength and conditioning. And, um, but uh, wanted to get into, I, you know, I, at first I thought I wanted to do tactical strength and conditioning, um, but those, those, those jobs, they, you know, they want a PhD and 12 years experience and stuff, and I had just got my master's and retired, and uh, and then I thought maybe I'll do the collegiate thing and, uh, kind of ran into the same thing of, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of requirements and, uh, not too many jobs. So I thought, okay, I'll just, uh, I'll, I'll go the high school route. 
and uh, um, kind of kind of forced my way in uh, to the into the door. Um, sending emails, making phone calls, nobody's returning them. So uh, a typical uh, military <laughs> military person, type A personality, just kind of showed up uh, where I wanted to coach and uh, kind of forced my way into a job. I volunteer at first and then uh, um, it wasn't where I wanted to be. It was track, it was track and field. I wanted to be with football and, and do a full-time strength and conditioning, but uh, um, that didn't happen, so uh, I kind of poured myself into track and uh, uh, learning uh, as much as I could. I was a, uh, I was very much a you know strong is never wrong kind of guy at first, and then as I started uh, started uh, you know studying more and being around better coaches and and uh, interacting more with some uh, sprint coaches, I kind of changed my mind on that, you know and. Uh, uh, but that's where I'm at now. I'm, uh, I'm actually yesterday, uh, yesterday I took a job. I'm the, uh, head girls track coach at, uh, Booker T Washington here in Pensacola. And, uh, they have a, uh, um, a pretty good tradition. Um, and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, looking forward to diving in. We start, uh, we actually start conditioning next, next, uh, next week. So, uh, I'm, I've never been the head co head coach, so I'm, I'm a little nervous about that. I've always been. I think uh, I think that when you're the assistant, you can be hypercritical. You know, you, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? Why is she doing this? Um, but when you're the head coach, you're the one who's being they're being hypercritical about. So uh, so anyway, um, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I uh, um, I, I kind of get to run a program the way I want to run it. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Long story short, uh, long story short, military, very interested in, you know, meathead stuff. And then now I'm in track and field. Yeah, but the military thing, just so people get a true understanding, it's not like you were just a regular guy in the Army or a guy in the Marines. Like You ended up being in a pretty fancy building there for a while. <laughs> yeah, my last uh, my last tour was in the uh, was in the Pentagon. I did three years, uh, three years, three years at the Pentagon. Um, I worked for the uh, Assistant Commandant of the Marine Corps, so uh, you know the only other four-star general in the Marine uh, Marine Corps besides the Commandant. Uh, we did budgeting and stuff, and I got to kind of see the uh, procurement of uh, how the Marine Corps buys stuff, and uh, I, I always joke that if you can uh, if you can charge the government something, you can definitely overcharge the government something. So, uh, <laughs> so but it was it was a good experience because um, you know you get to see how uh, essentially how a Fortune five country uh, uh, Fortune five hundred company runs um, with uh, um, you know all the ins and outs of that. I got to uh, meet a lot of uh, I mean crazy, crazy uh, interactions uh, with, with people that I never would have met had it not been, you know, uh, you know, being a schmuck at the Pentagon. So uh, um, the first six months are really, really cool. I mean, because the building is so historical and everything. Uh, the last two and a half years, it, it is a grind. It is a absolute grind uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, just 
just the bureaucracy and everything else that goes into it. And it, it, I was uh, I was more than glad uh, when when the, my surgeon told me he said this is probably going to medically retire you. I was kind of like, well, I'm ready to be out of the Pentagon. So uh, yeah, go ahead, you know, cut away, doc. So. <laughs> but then being able to be it really at every level, right? I mean, because it's it's hard to go yeah. much higher than the Pentagon, yeah. and then being you know from enlisted army and all the way up. Mm-hmm. There's, you, you've seen quite a bit, and and you've been around the development and the practices and how the growth and, and strategies of, of all of these things mm-hmm. work together. So let's talk a little bit about how that is perceived and how that has impacted your thought process as a coach. Well, when it comes to physical development, um, um, when it comes to physical development, I'll give you a story. When I graduated OC, uh, officer candidate school in Quantico, um, they have, we import a, uh, a British, um, he's a sergeant, uh, they call him the color sergeant. Anyway, uh, we import him to run our, all of our physical training. And after 10 weeks of OCS, uh, your body is absolutely broken. Um, it is just, um, you know, it, it's a rough experience. Most, in fact, most of the washouts are from injuries. It's not from people quitting. It's because they get they get hurt because it's such a brutal process. Anyway, um, I remember a kid raised his hand, you know, week ten, and said, "Hey, how do we uh, how do we continue on this level to stay this physically fit? Um, and you know, what can we do?" And the uh, the the British, you know, sergeant uh, that was there, he was like, "You don't ever." want to recreate what we did here this is not you know this is not sustainable and uh and uh that always stuck with me because unfortunately after that everybody tries to recreate initial training whenever they're doing physical training (laughs) they sit there and tell you not to and then we all do and uh you know i i started to especially being at the pentagon where there's you know the average rank uh is like a lieutenant colonel you know lieutenant colonel at the pentagon is a schmuck you know he's he's pushing papers um you know that that's a that's a 40 year old dude that's a 42 40 to 45 year old dude who can barely walk because he's in endured all that you know what i mean so i started that's kind of what got me into wanting to study, wanting to uh, study exercise science was because I saw all the, all these guys who I was 10 years younger than walking around and I saw my future and I didn't want that to happen. Unfortunately it did, but um, anyway. Um, and so I really wanted to get into, you know, be- best practices and stuff. And then you, you know, with the special forces, they were already doing it. Uh, you know, I, I remember you talking to uh, Andy uh, Zal- Zalacons, Zalacons, um, he, you know, they, they were already implementing strength and conditioning, athletic training into, into uh, special operations. Um, but, you know, your line company, you know, you're just, you know, your, your random name, your name, your unit, you know, lower level unit, you know, they're recreating OCS and recreating boot camp for their, you know, physical training. And uh, um, I kind of wanted to change that. You know, I was hoping to, to kind of get on the uh, ground floor of, change, of changing that. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately I got out and, uh, when, when, when it was starting to change, uh, the Marine Corps has done a better job lately. Um, they, uh, they, uh, <clears throat> they, uh, 
implemented a force fitness instructor where they go and they work with, uh, uh, they work with, they have to go through a, I think it's a six week course on, you know, best practices and how to injury prevention, nutrition, all that kind of stuff, which was a massive gap in, 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 uh, in, the, in the military specifically, or within the Marine Corps, or I'm sorry, within the military at large and within the Marine Corps specifically. Um, we were always fitness, you know, and, you know, we were always fit guys because that's the Marine Corps, but we're very healthy. And uh, I don't think, uh, you know, there was no, there was never any balance to that. It was always, we got to be fit. We got to be fit. We got to be fit. Um, and sometimes that came at the expense of injuries. So then when you look at that now moving forward through your steps to now being a head track and field coach, how has that impacted your decisions as to how you are looking to train and develop, you know, these young people? Uh, it's going to sound like a generic answer, but minimal effective dose. Um, I always said the Marine Corps was maximum capacity threshold. Um, and, and, and now I look at it as um, I don't, I need them to, I need them to perform on Saturdays. And I can't get them to perform on Saturdays if I break them on Monday. And so what's the least, and I'm going to, I remember one of the first podcasts I listened uh, that you were on, you said, you know, we don't know how little we have to train somebody to get an effect. And that, that always stuck with me. I was always looking at, you know, what's the least I can do to get the most benefit. And, uh, um, and so I, it's, it's funny, I, I, about that time, uh, where I was kind of getting into <clears throat> um, strength and conditioning, I get, you, you should honestly be interviewing Tony Holler more than me because uh, I pretty much stole everything he does. <laughs> um, but there's a, he's a track coach up in Illinois. His name's Tony Holler. <clears throat> and he had this feed the cats, um, you know, under train, uh, under train them, completely under train them, let them recover. And then, you know, they, you know they're awesome on Saturdays. And I kind of embraced that <clears throat> early on because it made sense to me because like I said, I saw all these guys who were in their forties who are supposedly, supposedly um, physically fit uh, who get out of the chair at the Pentagon and they, you know, snap, crackle, pop when they, when they stand up. So, um, so I saw this guy who was preaching the antithesis of what I learned in the Marine Corps. And I thought, okay, and I'm, I'm kind of a, um, contrarian by nature you know if everybody else is saying do this I'm kind of like nope I'm, I'm gonna try something else and that's what he you know that's that's his nature as well and so I kind of adopted uh, a lot of his um, a lot of his stuff um, because I, I so last season before we got cut uh, for COVID um, we're at our first invitational Jay and um, the, the season is about six weeks old and first invitational and my, you know, my, my sprinters are running around, you know, doing what they want to do or uh, doing their thing and doing really well. And I look around every other team, there's ice bags on the shins of everybody. They're walking around, you know, and this is the first invitational. We have uh, 11 more to go and you, and I understand, you know, there's going to be aches and pains and everything, but at the first invitational, they're already walking around with ice bags on their shins. It just didn't make sense to me. 
so um so i you know i really and and honestly a lot of things was facility uh facility driven i'm on a concrete track um or i was on a concrete track uh i had uh um you know no access to weight room so i had to be minimal effective dose or else they weren't going to last the season <clears throat> and so so i kind of um applied that i applied that whole methodology of you know that feed the cats of you know under train over recover and let the chips fall where they may and um it turned out it turned out well and i think that there's a unfortunately i think there's this uh, uh especially among and i'm not I'm not going to be specific, but I'm going to say football coaches. I think football coaches, they see what the military accomplishes and they say, well, we got to do what they do so that we can accomplish the same thing. Because look, you know, being miserable and, you know, suffering together, that is a real thing that will, that will turn you into a team. Uh, I have no doubt about it, but how do you do that better? How do you make that? How do you make that? Uh, how do you how do you do that better? And I think what football coaches see is they see the end product, and they want to emulate all the stuff that they see on TV, not the little stuff that goes on behind the scenes where you know you're sitting around for eight hours and uh, you're throwing rocks at a can in the middle of the desert because that's what that's what Marines do. That's where the bonding comes through. That's where the you know the teamwork comes in because that's that's real life, you know. Uh, you know, rolling around in the mud, uh, <laughs> rolling around in the mud, uh, carrying a log and stuff. That's, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people see. But I think it, I think that's like 1% of what makes, you know, the Marine Corps or special ops or anything else a team. And uh, anyway, I kind of, I'm sorry, I kind of rambled there. Uh, no, man, I, it's, I dig it because I think that, I think that what also is associated with that is people confuse the teamwork aspect and the bonding aspect with this idea of mental toughness. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think that is that, that's my biggest thing with high school high school uh, athletics um, is that oh well you know a kid uh, a kid didn't uh, a kid that has never trained for the four hundred who just ran a two hundred. Uh, maybe 20 minutes, uh, 20 minutes earlier, but we need him to run in the four by four and he craps out in the last hundred meters. Well, that's because he wasn't, he wasn't mentally tough to handle it. No, 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 no. It's because you never trained him to run the 400 and it was his first time doing it. And it's not a mental toughness thing. It's whether, and you know, I think Eric Corum does a lot of stuff on mental toughness being task specific. I believe that 100%. Um, <clears throat> because, uh, <clears throat> if you can, um, you, you, you can't just throw somebody in a, a situation without any pro you know, prior, uh, training and then say, well, if you didn't do it well, you're just not mentally tough. No, that, that does that just doesn't work. Uh, especially in the, in the, in the realm of, of athletics, because a lot of it is known, you know, especially track and field, track and field is known. You, you don't have any, too many variables. Um, you know, the distance are always going to be the same and the, and the, and the stopwatch is going to be the same. So, um, I think, I, you know, I, I just mental toughness comes task specific and 
I think it has more to do with confidence in your training than almost anything else. Um, look, I, I, I just had to, I had to tell my, uh, my, uh, my track team yesterday, you know, the, the ones I trained all summer, I said, Hey, look, I'm taking a new job. And, uh, I told them, I said, listen, be open-minded to the next coach because I sell this as this is the only way to do it. But I sell that because I want you to have confidence in me and I want you to have confidence in your training. I said, but there's many ways to do things the right way. So be open-minded to the next coach. And, uh, <clears throat> and they, I, I think that's, I think that's part of being a coach is, is getting them to be confident in not just, not just, uh, themselves or you, but in their training so that they can perform so that when things don't go right, they have something to fall back on saying, Hey, no, 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 no. This is the right way to do things. And, uh, I think that, uh, I think trying to grossly apply mental toughness to, uh, uh, to specific situations, um, makes it, ma makes, uh, makes for broken athletes. Yeah, and I think that uh, I think Tuck calls them lactate baths, right? Like the things that people <laughs> like to to do. Yeah. But you know, even in a feed the cats type situation, I think that there's also the misnomer that you don't have days like that. Also, like there aren't the hard days that are like the yeah. the days oh, well, that kids show up and they're like, uh, you yeah. know. Uh, well, if you, you, you should, uh, should peruse my Instagram. Uh, I, <laughs> I, uh, I take pictures of our 23 second drills. Uh, I'll tell you last, last, uh, spring, um, the guy, my head coach asked me, he said, Hey, what are you doing today? And I said, Oh, we're doing 23 second drills today. And, uh, he's like, well, how many are you doing? I said three. And he said, is that going to be enough? And I said, well, it's going to look like a war zone on the, on the infield of the football field. So yeah, it'll, it'll be enough. And uh, so I, you know, for those who don't know, we do 23 seconds. So you run as hard as you can. There's no pacing. There's no whatever. You run as hard as you can for 23 seconds. You wait four minutes, you do it again. And then you wait four minutes and you do it again. It is a brutal, brutal day. Um, and, uh, um, you know, the, the goal is that they, you know, learn to run through that burn, learn to run through that, you know, that lactate threshold. Um, and, uh, uh, it it is a rough day but what, what was funny is after i we did that i mean that takes 10 minutes right you know you, you do you you run uh, a good a good uh, uh a good kid's gonna a good boy is gonna run about 600 meters 600 meters in 10 minutes you can sit there and say oh that's not too bad that's not too bad give it a try give it a try i promise you you will be hating life um but what's funny is after I got done with that, my head coach was like, we should do that every day. And I said, I was like, coach, come on, man. We, uh, this is going to, there's going to be a, there's going to be a two, two day hangover from this. And, and that's the way I set up my, my training is knowing that, you know, after, cause I do that. I want to do that day as further, as far away from the meet as possible. But I also, my most important thing is max speed. So I, I give them, I give them a, I want them to come back from the weekend on Monday. We do our max speed day on Monday, which is we do flying tens and uh, you know with a 30 meter buildup. Normally a 30 meter. I'll give them 40 if they need if they want to roll into it because all I care about is max speed. 
but on Tuesday is that is that lactate threshold day and that day sucks and I know I'm going to need two days after that so we work in uh, some recovery work on Wednesday which is we I know I know people t hate tempo runs um, we we used them because uh, like I said I didn't have any access to any other form of recovery if I could put them on a bike I would put them on a bike a hand bike a you know regular bike I would do it but I just didn't have it so we did a lot of tempo runs on the grass to kind of save their joints a little bit and then uh, you know because you know like I said uh, uh, the way I planned was I knew that I was going to have a two-day hangover uh, but the funny thing is um, the funny thing is is that's where I saw most of my gains so like when you're doing flying tens you're sh you know you're you're chasing you know hundredths of a second you know to go from a 120 to a 113 is a massive difference in miles per hour um, but with those lactate threshold drills, you can gain 20 meters in, in, in a season or in six weeks. And kids like that. Um, they hate it at the time, you know, because they're, you know, throwing up in, in the middle, in the middle of the football field. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, to, 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 uh, to ascribe that we don't work hard, um, in a feed the cats method, or we don't have rough days. I think that's a misnomer. I, I think that's I think that's wrong um, because you know it's uh, it, we just we just work in my opinion we work smarter um, so when it's your time when it's your time to run a flying 30 hey it, you got to be intense that time and the other thing is I announce all the times we do uh, we do electronic timing so they don't want to lose to their buddies you know they they want to <clears throat> they want to outperform their friends it's a little different with girls. Um, girls are not like that. They they don't like having their times announced, even if they're good, because if they're really good, they kind of feel embarrassed because they're you know it's good because I'm making a big deal about it. Um, but uh, but boys, man, they they love they love you know bagging on on themselves and uh, you know that kind of thing. But yeah, I just I, I think that there's. The other thing, um, and this is kind of off topic, but I'll get onto it. Another thing is that it attracts athletes. Um, and that's the biggest thing. Like I, my first year that I coached track, I had like two sprinters real. And when I say real sprinters, I mean, two of them, uh, this last year we had 30. Um, and I had a kid pre COVID, um, he came out the, so track is, I don't know, 10 weeks old. And uh, this one kid, he was a football player. He comes out um, the Thursday before we get shut down for COVID. And uh, I was like, man, why haven't I seen you? It's, you know, track season's 10 weeks old. And he's like, well, I heard it was different this year, coach. And I was like, okay, let's see what we got. Let's do a, let's just do a starting 10. You know, I'll, I'll reset the lasers. And I turn around to uh, go adjust the camera. Uh, and all of a sudden uh, down the track, I hear thump, 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 thump. And uh, we were doing 30 or 40s. We were doing uh, a 20 meter buildup into uh, a 40. And uh, with no warm up, no nothing, the kid ran like a 4.36 flying 40 meter, you know? And I was like, oh my gosh, we, you know, we need this kid out here. But that's the thing. He knew, he knew, my bad, my watch just went off. Uh, he knew because he'd talked to his friends that things were different. We were prioritizing speed, which is something he wanted. And that 
we weren't going to hurt him on the track. And uh, I, I think that that's the biggest thing that Feed the Cats as a, as a, as an overarching principle is, is that it attracts kids who you need to be good at track. If you're not getting your best in high school, if you're not getting your best athletes out to track, I don't care how good of a coach you are. It's just not going to work. Uh, you're going to be, you're always going to have a ceiling. And, uh, you know, like I said, last year, we went from like two, uh, my first year to two real sprinters to 30. And that has to, I mean, that ha you have to take that into account that uh, um, it, it makes your program attractive. Well, imagine that if you do what the sport is supposed to do, people <laughs> want to do the sport. Jay, I, I say this all the time. I don't care how many 13 second hundreds you can run. I need you to run 110. You could run 113s. That's great. Hey, terrific. Nobody's going to know your name. Um, but if you run 110 in high school, people are going to know who you are. And, uh, I'm for, that's, and awesome. that's the thing. Say that again. That's awesome. That's great. Uh, but, that, but that's the thing. I mean, it's like, you know, we... we, we I always like to, you know, obviously I, I study the same people that you, you, you have on the show and stuff. And that's the, uh, you know, if you, if you try to recreate the sport, like what happens on Saturday, naturally you're going to do well. And when it comes to a conditioning point of view, I don't need a hundred guy to run a mile. That's just counterproductive. Um, and I don't care how fast you can run a mile. I, there's a, one of my favorite football quotes is from, uh, gosh, uh, it's Wade Phillips' dad. He says, uh, he was talking about Earl Campbell failing the one mile test back when he was uh, uh, playing football. And uh, Coach Phillips said, well, when it's first in a mile, I won't give him the ball. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, we, 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 we have these generic, very generic, you know, of what is good. And it's not specific to what the athlete needs. And, you know, if, if, uh, um, <laughs> if, if, if I need them to run two sprints on a set, say they're just a hundred person, that's all they do. All I need them to do is run two 100 meters on, on a Saturday within the span of like four hours. Um, I don't need them to, I don't need them to uh, uh, be able to run a mile and it's probably not going to help them to run a mile. But I, I think that uh, we apply like these generic, generic metrics of what is good, especially for a high school athlete. And we, and we say, well, if he can't do this, then he's not good. And I kind of turn that on its head and I say, what well, can you do well? And let's, let's do that. And a lot of football players, they want, they want a fast 40 time. And so if I can, if I can get them out there by, you know, saying, Hey, we time forties every practice. Um, if I can, if I can get them out there by doing that and they don't have to run a mile, I'm going to get them out there. Um, and that's, and that's fine with me because I, I need them to, <laughs> I need them to make me a better coach because uh, it's, it's uh, without talent. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you can build on what you have and uh, but uh, um it's really hard uh, when you when you don't have that talent showing up. Couldn't agree more, man. Well, listen, bro, let me get you out of here with this one, Jason. Where can people see what you're doing? Where can they follow what's going on? And where can they see some examples of these? All right, so I'm uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter. I'm a speed undercoat. Uh, oh, 
speed underscore coach one. Um, and then you can reach out to me by email. I'm J A Crutchfield one at gmail.com. Uh, I don't do I'll, I'll tell you this, Jay, uh, when you asked me to do this, I said, well, one of these things is not like the other, uh, because, uh, uh, you've had some great, great guests. So, uh, if you want to hear what, uh, if you want to hear my mindless ramblings and, and <laughs> whatever, feel free to reach out. Um, I, uh, I, I true, but I do, I love talking coaching. I love talking speed specifically. Um, and please don't hesitate. Uh, I, you know, uh, you were kind enough to uh, entertain me, uh, entertain my stupid questions when I was first starting out, and I uh, I, I would love to uh, uh, pay it forward to anybody who, uh, uh, who 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 will ask. So if you do contact me, know that you will get a you will get a response. Awesome, man! Appreciate your time, Jason. This is sensational stuff, brother. We will be in touch real soon, homie. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, man. Cheers. Yeah.